0: James 1, beginning in verse 18, we'll read to the end of the chapter. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the Word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the Word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word, but does not do what it says, is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world.
1: In James chapter 1, We have set before us two mighty instruments that God uses to make us holy. Trials and his word. And the importance of God's word in our lives is something we can't afford to miss. And so James says, take note of this. Take note of this. You you can't miss this, dear brothers. And then he tells us how to hear God's word. He says, be eager to hear it. Jump at the opportunities. He says, get rid of the hindrances to hearing it. Weed the garden so it's ready to receive the seed. And then he tells us thirdly to humbly accept it. Bowing beneath it. And all this is absolutely necessary for this powerful instrument to have effect in our hearts. But James now tells us it's not enough. It's not enough. And we now come to the critical step without which all of our hearing is wasted. Do what it says. Notice the command. We have this morning a command and an illustration. The command, verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And right away we learn that hearing the word, what you are doing right now, is not an end in itself, but is a means to an end. And the end in view is doing what it says. Psalm 119, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is to affect the way I walk. That is how I live. That's what James is saying to us. It's meant to transform us and make us holy, Jesus says, as he prays to his father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Make them holy by this book. And so its purpose is to, that, that we are to carve out new ways of, of living because of what this word says. We are we're to carve out new ways of thinking, of speaking, of suffering, of loving, of working. And if that's God's aim in bringing his word to us, then it must be our aim in hearing it. We should hear it so as to do it. We're not out for a higher biblical IQ this morning. We're not out to gain more uh, knowledge, to sharpen our sword, to, to fight against people who differ with us. Yes, we must give a defense for the faith. But I'm here this morning To hear God's word so as to bring my life into line with it. It's like a car that gets out of line and it's pulling one way or another. And we come to hear the word to bring our lives in line with it. And that will affect the way we listen to it. The way that we read it, we should do so asking the question, is there something here that I should do? And when you see it. It might be helpful just to jot it down. You make to-do lists. Here's some important to-do lists. Do what it says, James says. It's, it's helpful as you're hearing the word, perhaps just to jot down a to-do list. Something in the word where God says you should do something. You want to come back to that and, and work it out later. But is that your aim in hearing the word? You're hearing in order to do This command insists that all of our hearing ends in doing. Now, notice as well, there's a deception that takes place when we merely listen to the word. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Now, the deception works something like this. Here's a man and he he comes to church and he sits and he listens to the sermon. He hears the word of God. And then he leaves the service thinking he's better off spiritually for having come. When he immediately forgets what he heard and never puts it into practice. But he thinks he's better off because he, he heard the sermon. The oh. Bible says you've simply succeeded in deceiving yourself, friend. James tells us there's two kinds of sermon hearers. There's two kinds of uh, church attenders. There's the hearers only and there's the doers of the word. Now, the doers are those who listen and then put it into practice. The hearers only are those who also listen but never do anything more than listen. They never put it into practice. And so they deceive themselves thinking they're better off for having heard. I would venture a guess that that will be done in every church today. That people will think that they're better off because they were in church today, when they do not do what they heard. Be careful not to deceive yourself. It happens all too easily. Hence the warning. We need to see that what happens after the sermon is what separates doers from hearers only. It's what happens after the sermon. The sermon's over. The preacher said his last words. We sung the final hymn. We've added our amen to the final prayer. We go out the doors, we say our goodbyes, and we're home, on our way home. And we think, there, I'm done with that sermon. It was a good sermon. Now on to something else. And God stops us and says, no, no, you're not done with that sermon. In fact, the work is just beginning now. You see, there's two parts to rightly receiving the word. There's the listening and there's the doing. The working out and the harder part, the bigger part is the doing of what we hear. You leave here as a student leaves the classroom where the teacher has just given the assignment for the day. Your work isn't done. You're just starting. And so as you leave each week, the bigger part remains to be done. Now, that's how we need to think. And that's my prayer this morning, that God would use His Word to to cause us to hear His Word better, differently, perhaps, than what we've yet realized. Do you think this way? Sermon heard means assignment given. Assignment given. Now go and do what it says. You leave here as a man on assignment, as a woman on assignment, a boy or a girl on assignment from your master. To think otherwise is to deceive yourself. You see, we're never done with any passage of God's Word until our lives become an illustration of what it means. Until what it says is seen in our life. What does it mean to be quick to listen? Well, could we follow you home and see what that means? What does it mean to to be slow to become angry? Could we watch you under provocation? You see, what the scripture means is to be evident in the way that we live. Do what it says. So we're never done with the passage until then. Be doers. And not hears. So when we leave church, it remains yet to be seen whether or not we've profited from the word that we heard. John MacArthur tells of inviting a Scottish evangelist to come and to speak to a, a group of college students. And he sat, MacArthur sat in and listened. <coughs> and after, um, as he spoke, some of the things Uh, MacArthur says, some of the things he said touched my heart. And afterward, I went up to him and with sincerity said, I want you to know that what you said ministered to me and I'm very appreciative. I'll never forget his abrupt reply. He said, well, what are you going to do about it? And I say that God is saying the exact same thing to you every time you hear his word. He meets you at the doors and says, Okay, John, now what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about what I just said to you? How are you going to consider it all joy when you fall into trials of many kind? Are, are you going to ask for wisdom in your trial? Are you going to persevere in holiness under trial? And by the way, how would you do with last week's assignment? Anyone here more eager this week to hear the word? Did you get rid of, of any moral filth so that your garden would be ready to receive the word? Did you receive the word this week any more humbly? Submitting to what your king says. You see, you can be moved to tears in a sermon, but be no better off if you never get around to doing what it says. You can get goosebumps in church and be no better off for being here. Your profiting from the Word is not merely to be measured in terms of emotions felt or knowledge gained, but in terms of obedience given. And unless you're doing what you hear, your experience at church is only serving to deceive you, to trick you. Let me ask you, are you better off for going to the doctor and listening to him if you don't do what he says? He says, John, you've got dangerously high blood pressure. You need to take this medicine. You need to stop eating these foods. You need to start exercising. And I leave the doctor's office saying, I feel better. (laughs) And I haven't done anything. And you say, You're deluded. Exactly right. I have deceived myself because I've been to the doctor and I've listened well to what he said. But I have not yet done it. I'm deceiving myself to thinking I'm any better off for it. Now, at Grace Fellowship Church, we we do a lot of listening to the word of God. If you're plugged into life at this church, then... Uh, you're hearing around 100 sermons a year and about half that many lessons on the Word in Sunday school. Uh, you're having 100 scripture readings a year uh, in public public readings of the Bible. Uh, 50 brief uh, meditations on Wednesday nights. You're memorizing around 52 verses a year. Um, and then I trust that you're, you're also reading the Bible at home hundreds of times during the course of a year in private and family worship. We're taking in lots and lots of the Bible. And good for you, good for you, you must. You can't survive without it. But James is simply saying, folks, before we leave this subject of the powerful instrument of the word, you must get this fact that it only does you good if you do what it says. So we must ask, does the hearing of God's word translate into living? Living. What new obedience can we point to? What's the last thing you started doing simply because God's Word said it? What new habits have you started doing because you read something? What's the last thing you've quit doing because of something you've read here? Old habits, old ways of living, put to death. What changes has the Word made in your life? If our increased knowledge of the Word does not serve the purpose of practical holiness in our living, then someone's being deceived, James says. We're either doing the Word or we're deceiving ourselves. One of the things I like about James is that he's very plain. What is it about do what it says that you don't understand? It's pretty clear, isn't it? And yet even that simple statement is illustrated. And as a preacher, I love James because I don't have to come up with illustrations. James gives them to us. And here's the illustration. Verses 22 to 23 to 25. It's a portrait of these two men. Remember, both of them are sitting under the word of God preached. They're, they're both hearers. But one is a hearer only and the other is a hearer and a doer of the word. No one is that stays home and doesn't listen to the word priest is in view here. Not even in view. It's only talking about you all who come in here. Hear the word. Okay. now he's got a picture for us. First, he paints a picture of the hearer only. Verses 23 and 24. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like. Here's the illustration. Like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. We'll stop there. Learn that listening to the word is like looking in a mirror. It's what you're doing right now. You're looking into a mirror. James is reminding us of the mirror ministry of the word of God. Like a mirror, it shows us what we really are. It exposes our blind spots, things that we otherwise would not see. I had an old bachelor tennis coach in college who didn't have a wife to spiff him up before he left the house and went into public. And bless his heart, he liked to eat those little powdered sugar donuts for breakfast. And so he invariably ended up with white powdered sugar on his nose and his chin. And evidently, he didn't have any mirrors in his house either. Because mirrors would have pointed that out if his wife wouldn't have. That's what a mirror's for. It shows us things like that. Things that need attention. Wait before you leave, get that off your face. And so it serves us well. Mirrors. One of the things about mirrors, though, is that they're brutally honest. I didn't know I was having a bad hair day until I walked past a mirror and had a look. I didn't know I had spinach on my front tooth until the mirror showed me. Now the mirror will say to me, John, you need to brush your teeth, but it won't brush my teeth for me. The mirror ministry. If I've got wrinkles, it shows me my wrinkles. If I have pimples and I've got a growing bald spot or I'm kind of heavy, it shows everything to me. It hides nothing. It doesn't flatter us in the least. That, my friend, is the word of God. That's what you get when you look in here. You get to see yourself as you really are, not your high opinion of self. Some people say, that's why I don't like mirrors. They don't do me justice. (laughs) No, they don't let you live in ignorance. They don't let you live with your high opinion of self. They bring you right back down. This is what you are, John. This and nothing more. That's what you get in here. It's a mirror. It shows us what we are. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Blemishes and all. It shows us. Shows me where I'm coming short. Where I don't measure up. It's exposing my blind spots. Things that need changing in my life to bring about that righteous life that God desires. Here's something, John. John. This needs to go. This needs to start. You need to be more faithful here, John. You need to increase your attention to this. You see, it's, it's showing me what I am. And it's hiding nothing. It judges the thoughts and even the attitudes of the heart. Put this right, John. Deal with that attitude. Now, here's a sobering thought. How much of what we hear on Sunday makes it over into Monday? How much of the word you hear on Sunday survives the night's sleep? So much of what we hear of God's word ends up in the land of forgetfulness. How easy it is even to have our own reading of the word and we read it and we're listening to it. And we walk away and we can't even remember what we read. So easily it moves into that land of, of forgetfulness and we're busy and we, we've not accomplished anything but moving the bookmark forward in our Bibles. James says, no, 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 do what it says. You know, the devil works overtime to get us to forget what we read, what we hear. Jesus said that in that parable of the sower and the sower goes forth to sow and he's scattering the word of God and the soil is the hearer listening to the word of God and some of it falls along the path and the birds come and pick it up. This is the work of the devil, Jesus says, so that when a sinner, when a person hears the word, it immediately is snatched away by the devil and his workers. Have you not found that to be the case, that there are a thousand distractions to interrupt you between the hearing and the doing of God's word so that you forget what you've heard? There's a reason that you see. there's an enemy. He's out to make you forget. He doesn't even mind that you're here this morning. That'll just add to your deception. If you don't do what it says. It's part of his ploy. But in that parable, there's also weeds that grow up and they choke out the word so that it never bears fruit. It never gets from hearing to doing. And what are those weeds, Jesus? Tell us. Well, they're the cares of life. The ordinary cares of life. What you've got to do tomorrow. The whole list. The deceitfulness of riches, the things that you want. Weeds choking out. The Word, so that it never gets into the do column of your life. That's the characteristic of the one who hears the Word of God. You know, I've I've, uh, missed a whole section here. And it has to do with Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Second part of the book, Christiana and Mercy look into a wonderful mirror, a looking glass that they found on the the dining room wall of the shepherd's house. And Bunyan describes it this way. The the glass, the, the mirror, was one of a thousand. One way it would present a man with his own features exactly. And turn it but another way, and it would show one the very face and similitude of the prince of pilgrims himself. You see, we're talking about the mirror ministry of the Word of God. You see what Bunyan's saying? It's, it's a mirror, and it shows us two things. It shows us ourselves and our Savior. It's a mirror. You see the Savior in all the beauty of His holiness. And you see your sin in all the ugliness of your lack of likeness to Jesus. And you see both in this mirror. In fact, I posit that you've, you've not yet seen the ugliness of your sin until you've seen the beauty of your Savior. You've not seen how abominable your sins are until you've seen how beautiful His holiness is. And you see both in this word. You just turn it a different way and you see it, Bunyan says. Never does my pride look as so ugly as when I see my Savior's humility. He's washing feet. And I'm arguing about who's the greatest. He's laying down his life and I'm trying to figure out how to save mine. We look into this mirror and we see him being abused and mistreated. There at Calvary, spitting on him, beating him, slandering him, lying about him, mocking him. And he takes it all so, so quietly. And here I am. He's forgiving his enemies, and I'm hating mine. He's not retaliating. And suddenly all my devices of getting even look so stinking wicked. I've seen the Prince of Pilgrims, and I've seen my own self in this mirror, the mirror ministry It shows me what I really am. So James says, this man, this here only, is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And he finishes the picture by saying in verse 24, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. That's the picture of the hero only He stumbles out of bed in the morning. He gets dressed. He goes into the bathroom. He sees what a mess his hair is in. But before he does anything, before he does anything about it, he hears the coffee maker beeping in the kitchen. So he hustles out into the kitchen and he has breakfast and he listens to the morning news or watches the morning news. And suddenly he notices the time is such that he needs to get out the door and get to work. And his hair is still as messy as it ever was when he got out of bed, but he just doesn't know it anymore because the mirror is no longer in front of him. He forgets what he looks like. Do you see the point James is making? He doesn't do anything to fix his hair. What good, James would ask us, does his look in the mirror do for him? Absolutely none. Because he didn't do anything about what he saw. He went away just as he came to the mirror. And folks, there are people, and I am one of them, who have come to the Word of God and left the same way that we've come to it. What good is that coming to the word done me if I do not do what it says? Well, That's the challenge, not to forget when we have an enemy without and within that would seek to get us to forget before we get around to doing. But by the grace of God, there's another kind of hearer. This isn't the only kind of hearer there is. There's there's another kind, James says, and he's the doer of the word. He both listens and he does what it says. You can't help but see this contrast all the way through. Here's the man, but the man, verse 25, who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to to look intently, continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Now, we don't have as much time as I would like to give to this, but you need to notice here that the word of God is called the perfect law that gives freedom. Amen. Some Christians do not know how to speak of the law in positive terms. James does not have that problem at all. He said it's the perfect law. There is absolutely nothing lacking in it. It's complete. It's it's all sufficient. And he says it's the unchanging transcript of the righteous life that God desires. The moral law of God summarized in the Ten Commandments. According to James, being a doer of the word is the same as obeying the law of God. It's perfect. It's unchanging transcript of God's holiness, his moral law. And he says, those who do obey it find that it is perfect freedom. Notice he calls it the law of liberty, the law that gives freedom. It's a liberating law. Some laws are are enslaving and and make people slaves in bondage. This is a, a wonderful law. It liberates. Do you know it that way? Is that your view of the law of God? Old and New Testament alike, the moral commandments of God. Do you view them as liberating laws? That's what David says about it. I run in the path of your commands, for you set my heart free. Tell me, you who think that the Bible is so constricting and doesn't let you do anything. What is freedom for you? You say, well, it's doing what I want. Friend, that's bondage. Because outside of Christ, what you want is to serve yourself. It's to do what your own evil desire says do. And every time you do it. Can't you see what Jesus says is right—that whoever slaves is, sins is the slave of sin—and so the guys are talking dirty, and your heart says, "Join them," and you join them. Go ahead and, and and take that thing at the store without paying it for it, and you do it. And all along, you think you're free to do what you want. You are a slave to your own evil desires. And don't even know it. That's the worst slavery of all. To be such in bondage and not even to know you're slave to your sin. Here is the perfect law that gives freedom. Where does a heart that's been set free run? Right down the straight and narrow of God's laws. I run in the path of your commands. For you have set my heart free. Where does a heart really set free want to run? In the way of God's commandments. Psalm 119.45, I walk about in freedom because I have sought out your precepts. There's plenty of room on the straight and the narrow way for, for the man with a new heart. He's wand- walking about in great freedom. He recognizes that the law is not something that constricts him to do him evil, but it's something that sets his heart free from thousands of evil desires that would have drug him down into traps. I could take you around to one after another here this morning who would tell you how liberating the law of God is. My life was here and then God brought his law into my heart with power and transformed me and set me free from these bondages and addictions. What a wonderful thing is the law of liberty and James has no problem speaking of the wonders of this law. Indeed, as Pastor Aaron prayed in Psalm 19, in the keeping of it, there is a great reward. And we'll get to that at the end of this passage. So, according to James, to be a doer of the word is to be obedient to the moral law of God and its freedom. Now, how do we move then? The issue that we're talking about is how do we move beyond merely listening to doing, And this picture, this man, shows us the way. He too is looking into the mirror. But the, the first thing we notice is he looks intently. He, he looks intently into the perfect law that brings freedom. It's, it's not a running glance on his way by, into the mirror of God's word. He looks intently. The, the word actually carries the idea of stooping down to see. If I see something down there that, that grabs my interest... I'm not going to be satisfied to walk by it with just a glance, am I? I'm going to stoop down to examine it more closely. That's the word here. Looking intently. Not wanting to miss anything. So we we stoop down to look. You know, God doesn't lay all of his treasures on the top of the ground. We sang it. Thy word is like a deep, deep mine. You better have a deep shovel and you better be ready to throw some dirt if you want to get to the deep jewels of this scripture. A a passing glance won't get it. He searches. He's looking intently into the word. Beautiful word. And notice what else he does. He continues to do this. It's not a one-time thing. He keeps on looking. He keeps on stooping. He keeps on... Examining the word and notice again, not forgetting what he's heard. Well, of course not, because he's continuing to look and then doing it. So he looks intently. He continues to look intently. So he's not forgetting what he's heard, but he does it there. He's gone from hearing to doing. Did you see the important steps in between? If not, we'll not pass over from hearing only to doing. What is the important step in between? Continuing, continuing, continuing to look into this perfect law of liberty. Not forgetting, not forgetting, remembering it. In other words, this man doesn't leave the mirror until he's fixed his hair. He looks and he says, that's not right. Right. And he grabs the brush. No, it's still not right. And he dunks his head in the sink. And he works at it some more. There. Now that's what it's calling for. And he's ready to go on. That's what this man is like. He keeps looking until he's doing. I suggest there's loads of instruction in that for every one of us this morning. To teach us how to receive the word of God. You keep looking until you are doing. We must find ways and time to keep looking so we don't forget, but that we do. And I simply want to lay out some practical suggestions on how to keep the mirror before us until we are found doing. And all of them have to do with what we do after we hear the word. And I'm afraid that's where we lose so much of the benefit. We go to all the trouble of getting ready and, and going and sitting and listening with attentiveness. And all of that labor can be lost because we won't do a little more labor afterwards. It's like the hunter, proverb says. He goes to all the trouble of, of getting up and, and looking for deer and the, the way that they, they go through the woods. And he spends hours out there and then he gets up early in the morning when everybody should be in bed and he's out there standing up in a tree, shivering. And he finally sees one and he shoots it and he, it runs off a while. He follows the trail of blood. He's working his way through these thistles and thorns and he finally finds it. And then he's too lazy to fix it. So he goes home empty. His his laziness has has cost him all the effort he went to. He goes home empty. He might as well not even seen a deer that day, as far as the freezer goes. And that's what James is saying. If we aren't willing to put a little extra effort in after the hearing of the word, we can stand to lose perhaps 95% of what we've heard. At least that's the way I found it. Number one suggestion, fellowship around the word after the service. Just receive the word. Talk about it. What did we gain today? There's dinner time conversation that could be improved. Tell us what you got from your Sunday school class, dear. Tell me, what did you get from the sermon today? What does it say to you? What must you do? Or Sunday evening when you get home, go around and have everyone share. What did we profit from the word today? Pray about it. You see, each time we think further about that word, we're covering over the, the seed with some more soil. So that the, the birds can't snatch it away. We're, we're talking about it. It's like, it's like pounding a nail in deeper every time. We, we talk about the word. And we're, we're continuing to, to look into it. We're looking again and again. Fellowship around it. Secondly, we must be committed to serious self-examination. That's what looking in the mirror is, my friend. It's examining yourself. Self, how do you look this morning? Oh, that's what you do when you come to Scripture. You get the... Real you. So let me suggest, sometime Sunday afternoon, sometime Monday morning, perhaps even your devotions. Monday. The, the, the important principle is the sooner the better. There's a principle of striking the iron while it's hot. The blacksmith puts the iron in the fire, and gets it nice and malleable and formable. He brings it out on the ample and he smacks it and tries to bend it while it's still hot. Folks, when we leave here, I trust that there's something that's still warm and hot in in the word. But the longer you wait, the more pounding it's going to take to get that thing to, to shape. So while it's hot, while the word is still fresh in your mind, get some time alone to examine yourself. Open your Bible to the passage that was preached, along with any notes that you've taken. Maybe you've got just a couple scribbles of things you need to do. And oh, yeah. Yeah, yesterday, Lord, you you told me that I needed to start showing more consideration to my children. Okay, what, what does that mean for me? And you start to think about it and meditate. Is there anything that must change to bring my life into line with God's word that I heard yesterday? How should that passage be worked out in my life? And you notice any of those things to do that you took. Things to start, stop, continue, do more often. Be very specific. Spell it out. And then pray over it. Indeed, be praying all through this process. It's prayerful self-examination. Search me, O God, as we all prayed as that led us this morning. Search me. You, you show me how to apply what must be changed in my life. The Holy Spirit is the greatest preacher. Ask him to apply that word to your heart. Don't expect the preacher to do all the applying of God's word to your heart. His applications are sometimes like the man who draws a a bow at a venture and just sends one flying. And it gets you thinking of the ways that this word ought to be impacting you. But the specific application to you in your life, your family, your business, that the Holy Spirit will show you. So examine yourself prayerfully. Ask for his help. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Make me less like myself and more like my master. Robert Murray McShane would pray. And then next, lay some plans. Lay plans to put into practice what God's Word says. You meditate on it. Okay? I am to I'm to be eager to hear. I'm to be quick to listen. Now, what does that mean? And you okay, that means that I've got to be quick to have my time in the Word every day. So I'm going to lay plans, and I'm going to get my calendar out, and I'm going to say, that's the time, that's the place, and I'm going to scribble a circle around it, and that's the fence, and nothing's getting over that fence by the grace of God. I'm laying plans to obey God's word, to do what it says. Oh, we lay plans for a whole lot lesser important things. Should we not lay plans for this? And we put it on our calendar, we pray some more. And then we do it as soon as we can. We do what it says and we do it again and we do it again until it becomes like a new habit to us. And that's kind of like clinching the nail. You've pounded it all the way through the boards. You turn the boards over and the little stub that's left there, you smack it and bend it over. That word is there. It's not going anywhere because it's now a new habit with you. It's part of the way you live. Don't just be hearers, but do what it says. You may share with your brother or sister or spouse, a friend, something you want them to pray for. You know, the Lord showed me this about me. Would you pray that God would make me more humble before his word? I, I feel like sometimes I just stiffen when I see God's word. Would you pray that God would break me and I would come with a broken and contrite heart to his word? And then have them check up on you the next. Any, anything different about you here? This thing that you needed to do, have you done it? Wonderful thing to have, brother or sister, to help us to be accountable to doing the Word. You know, this is also why on Wednesday night there's always three lines on our prayer sheets. It's called praying over the Word. Let's see. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, three days later. We're saying, we don't want what we heard three days ago to be lost upon us, Lord. Remind us again. What was that word that we heard? Oh, Lord, come and teach us to be putting this into practice. And what are we doing? We're we're, we're looking into it one more time. We're pounding the nail one more time. We're covering up with more dirt, that precious seed. And then memorize it. Memorize scripture. Some of you are memorizing the book of James as we go through Great, go for it. Because every time you memorize and meditate and reflect on it and review it, you're looking again and you're continuing, continuing, not forgetting what you heard. Even when Pastor Aaron reads or when I read in the evenings, when we read back over the scriptures that we preached last week, it's a reminder to us. Let's see, what have I done about being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, and so on. And so the very public readings of scriptures can remind us. Future sermons where we might be asked what we're doing with what we've heard earlier. Then there's your own reading in the scriptures, your daily devotions. Have you not found that some of the things that you hear from your pastors, you're reading somewhere completely different on your own and, and you're having the same truth reinforced? Well, that's that's simply because it's one book and one author and he keeps saying the same things over and over. And so you've got 66 books and they're all pointing you to the same savior. They're all pressing home the same moral holiness of life. And so your own reading is, is driving another the the nail deeper that you heard before. And so it, is another way of continuing in the Word to keep you from forgetting, constantly exposing your heart to the searching mirror of God's Word. Now, I set these things before you as suggestions. I told you that. They're not things to be followed legalistically. They're not things to send you home feeling guilty because you don't do any of those things. I just, why not start? You may have your own method for doing it, but folks, we need some method. We need to do something that, that we don't just fall into this pattern of the hearer only lest we deceive ourselves. that Because on this day, we heard the word. We're spiritually better off. We're growing. We're growing, Christians. Been to church. Heard sermon. Good sermon. That doesn't mean anything. If you don't learn to, to put things into practice from this sermon, then it's, it's been wasted upon you as well. I, I can preach sermons that are wasted upon me. I must do what it says. So may the Lord help us. They are the most growing Christians who continue the most in the Word. And that's not by coincidence, because it is the mighty instrument that God uses to make us holy. And there's a promise at the end to help motivate you. He will be blessed in what He does. Who? Well, this man who looks intently into the law, keeps looking, doesn't forget what he heard, but does it. He will be blessed in what He does. This is the blessed man. The other man is the deceived man. He thinks he's blessed when he's not. This man is the man who's really blessed. Now James, then, in verse 25, is describing the blessed man, the happy man, the man with whom things are good. In verse 12, he told us about him that we saw him and he's persevering under trial. Look at him going, he's running. Oh, he's tired. His legs are screaming, quit. But he keeps persevering in holiness. He's not quitting. He's the blessed man. To him goes the crown of life. And now James is giving us another snapshot of this blessed man. He's looking continuously into the word of God. Not forgetting, but doing what he says. And folks, there's a connection. The reason he's running the reason he's running the race of holiness and not quitting is because he's constantly looking in the word, not satisfied just to have heard it, not satisfied until he's doing it. Here's the blessed man. He's blessed in his doing, blessed in his running. Indeed, everything is blessed. He's the blessed man of Psalm 1 who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law. He meditates. He meditates. Day and night. He's constantly looking intently upon it. And so he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither. Indeed, whatsoever he does prospers. The blessing is not in the hearing, folks. The blessing is in the doing. One day a woman said to Jesus when she saw him, Blessed is the woman that brought you into the world and nursed you. Jesus says, No, woman. Let me tell you who's really blessed. Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. That's the blessed one. Now you have heard these things, he says to his disciples when he tells them to wash each other's feet. Now you have heard these things. You are blessed if you do them. The blessing is in the doing. He will be blessed. This is the happy life. It's the life lived God's way. It's life lived following the the perfect law that gives freedom. You see, you walk in that way. You obey that law. And what do you find? You find this is the happy life. This is the good life. The obedient life is the blessed life. The obedient life is the good life. And with that, he gives us this glowing picture of the one who hears and does the word. So I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. Do what it says. I find it interesting that when Jesus has just given out all sorts of information on the Sermon on the Mount, he ends with a a story. There were two men one was a wise man and one was a fool. And the rains came down on the one man's house and washed it away because it was built on the sand. would be this guy, the fool. And the other guy, the wise man, built his house upon the rock. And so when the storms came, it stood. And children, you've sung that song. Do you know what Jesus was teaching us? It's not that one guy... The wise man came to church and and listened to the sermon. And the foolish guy just slept in on Sunday morning and didn't bother to hear the word. No, the common thing about both men is that they hear the word of God. The fool hears it and does not put it into practice. The wise man hears it and puts it into practice. Don't merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You know what it says to you, sinner? It says, come to me. It says, believe on me. That word can save you if you do it. May God help us.